So, I'm going to start with an outline. This is the first time I've done a PowerPoint, so hopefully it'll help you organize your thoughts as I've organized my thoughts. Um, the outline, as you can see, hopefully, it's not up there. There it is. No? It disappeared. disappeared? All right. Can we get the first slide? All right, great. So this, uh, the first thing we're going to be talking about is the, the phrase divine accommodation and hopefully take away some of the edge of that, that word. I mean, I, I didn't know what it was a while ago, and, and it just seemed like some kind of uh, trite thing. But when you examine it uh, and go a lot deeper with it, it's actually a really powerful, uh, important theological doctrine or a way of understanding God um, that has a lot of weight, I think. So then we're going to talk about gods who don't speak um, in contrast to a God who does speak. Um, We're going to talk about the impact of divine words, uh, both what the power they have to create and the power they have to change men's hearts. We're going to talk about speaking in other tongues, uh, and then we're going to close with the word incarnate, mainly talking about Jesus Christ and how he relates to all of this, because that really should be at the heart of any examination of the scriptures. Any, any preaching of the word, Jesus Christ should come forth out of it. So, maybe this will work. Look at that. All right. So divine accommodation. First, I think it's important before I give you the definition, I give you some groundwork into a very important reality, which is that God is great and man is not. Um, There is a, a chasm between man and God created by his holiness and our unholiness. Um, This chasm is, I think a lot of us know about this chasm. Hopefully, if you've heard the gospel before, you knew there was a separation between man and God. But I just want to stress today, uh, and I think you should stress this every time you reflect on the gospel, is that this chasm is really, really, really great. There is a huge, not great as in like quality, but great as in like grandness and magnitude. It is unbridgeable. We can't cover this gap. We cannot ourselves with our own hands build a ladder tall enough to reach God. Just like the Babylonians, you know, or in Babylon, like they couldn't build a tower tall enough to reach God. It was futile. God didn't have to come down and stop them just in case they might. He did it because he's like, you're so foolish, you're wasting your time. My people are wasting their time not going out and preaching the gospel. People coming together and and trying to reach God is ignorant. (laughs) It's a bad understanding of who God is and who we are. We know that God is creator of heaven and earth and that he holds all things together in his hands and what does scripture say about man it says we're made like grass 
you know, that gets, that withers and dies with the seasons. We know that man's sinful, that no good thing comes from man, but what comes from God. There's a huge chasm, and I hope that that we get the magnitude of that, seriously, because that's, if you can't get that, then you won't get the rest of the sermon. So the, def- the definition of divine accommodation, uh, I got this from, I think this quote is from a book that we've, uh, we recommend, it's called None Greater by Matthew Barrett, it's an excellent book about God and his attributes, but divine accommodation, this is the, the definition God's appropriation of humanly intelligible means to communicate real knowledge of himself, or more succinctly, God speaking to us in a form that is suited to our human capacity. Now, and if if we still don't get it, uh, because that definition can be a little confusing if you didn't catch it the first time, I had to read it a few times to understand it. An analogy would be like a parent speaking to a two-year-old kid, okay? God is the parent, we're the two-year-old kid. You know how you you go up to a little kid and, and speak kind of like in this, you know, cute, cutesy voice where you think that they'll understand it a little bit better, Uh because they don't comprehend, you don't use big words, you use little words like, and you point a lot, uh, or even better, um, maybe this analogy will hit closer to home for some people, especially those who aren't parents yet, uh, it's like a person speaking to a pet, like a dog, you know, it's like God, God speaking to us, the fact that he created scripture and he gave us language and he lets us like worship him and speak to him and commune with him is like him saying, good boy, good boy, <laughs> right? Like he's stepping down, he's lowering himself, crouching down and speaking in a silly voice to us. That's how grand God is and that's how little we are. He, he had to lower himself to speak to us. That's what divine accommodation is. So we're going to get into the significance of that, hopefully. And that's what the other sides are. That's what the other bullet points are. So we're going to talk about gods who don't speak. A lot of times, if you want to understand something, if you want to know what something is, you need to understand what something isn't. All right? So there's a few things that are God the God of heaven and earth, the creator of heaven and earth, is, then we need to understand what he isn't, which is can be found in Jeremiah ten fourteen. if you want to turn to that with me. This is going to use a lot of strong language to hopefully get the point across that I was trying to explain earlier. Jeremiah ten fourteen says, every man is stupid and without knowledge. And if you're thinking to yourself right now, that's not me, then you're wrong because uh, you probably can't know that because you're without knowledge and you're stupid. Uh, I'm not saying that directly to anybody, but that man in general, every man, every means every. None of us is super intelligent like 
as, you know, especially in comparison to God, none of us is smart. We're like a dog trying to compete with its master. You don't send your dog out there to, to be the breadwinner for the household because it's not smart enough to. Some people have trouble teaching their, their dog to not use the bathroom inside <laughs> on the carpet. They have a hard enough time just getting it to go to the bathroom outside in the grass, <laughs> let alone use a toilet or <laughs> at the appropriate times or whatever. You know, like dogs aren't very smart compared to their master. And that's, that's what we are compared to God. Every man is stupid and without knowledge. Every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols. For his images are false, and there is no breath in them. In scripture, uh, breath is oftentimes a, a picture of, of the spirit, of spirit. Um, so when you see that, it's like, it's something that doesn't have breath. I hope we know that it's dead, right? It's saying that these men make their own gods... And then they, for some reason, they think that these gods will be living or alive or have breath or be able to speak. They can't. They don't have breath. This will come a little bit clearer in uh, Habakkuk 2, 18 through 19. It's a little challenge for you all to see if you know where Habakkuk is. Yeah, it is in the Bible somewhere, Kyle. You're right. <laughs> so Habakkuk 2, 18 through 19 says, When its maker has shaped it, a metal image, this again, where it's the same analogy, you know, uh, oftentimes in this culture, the idols were, were statues and things made by man's hands, wooden and, and metal, uh, and I just want us to be sure that we're not conflating these man-made idols and thinking that we don't have our own idols just because we don't have little statues of men around our house. We have our own idols, and they are man-made. Okay. But Habakkuk 2, 18 through 19 says, When its maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies, for its maker trusts in its own creation— when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who say, says to a wooden thing, awake to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver and there is no breath in it at all. So if you didn't get the point before, there's no breath in it, it's dead. It's ridiculous to, to look at a stone and say, wake up. Say something. Teach me something. You know, however much we want to believe in the singularity or the Terminator movies or whatever, like technology can't surpass, you know, creation can't surpass its creator. So when we create something, it, it's not going to be smarter than us. But then you put the... the that view of how God created us and thinking that if we think we can surpass God, then that's just as foolish as thinking a rock can do your job better than you. 
are if, thinking that a rock can do two plus two. I mean, you may be able to get your pet to do that. I know a couple smart horses that can count, but not very high. <laughs> and they can't compose beautiful music or make wonderful art or solve complex math. You know, they can't do rocket science. Two plus two isn't rocket science, right? But if you think there's that big of a gap between an animal and us humans, think about the gap between our understanding and ability to create beautiful things and think deep thoughts. Think about that gap between us and our ability to do those things and God and his ability to do those things. And the fact that he lowered himself to communicate with us. It's amazing. So again, uh, this is a quick one. I used this in my last sermon. It's such a great verse. Um, Isaiah 59.2 says, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Not only are other gods unable to speak, but in a way our sins and iniquity causes us to not be able to commune with God. So that's just something to remember moving forward, right? If we're, if we're living in sin, it's harder to commune with God. If you aren't redeemed, you're not going to commune with God, right? Uh, we'll get more into this when we talk about Christ, but, you know, I've had a lot of conversations with people who uh, used to go to church and now call themselves atheists or agnostics or other, you know, non, like people who don't believe in God, basically, or don't believe in the God of the Bible. And they're like, yeah, I, I grew up in church and, and I never enjoyed it. <laughs> you know, I'm like, of course you didn't enjoy it. You weren't communing with God because you weren't redeemed. You didn't have that change in your heart. Why would you, like, why would you expect to enjoy it? <laughs> You're worshiping a dead God if you come to church and don't actually believe in the God of the Bible. You've made church and religion a false idol. So, of course, you don't enjoy it. I hate talking to rocks. They never talk back. So we're going to talk about the impact of divine words. And by divine words, it's pretty much just Christ. Yeah, it's, it's up. Great. Okay. Uh, talking about Christ and, and God and God's divine words and our, his divine communication, his way he communes with us. Um, I think it would be very, I'm not going to read all of Genesis 1 to you. I just hope that at this point, if you don't know this, uh, you'll go through and read Genesis 1 for yourself. But it's full of God speaking and things coming into creation. Um, I wanted to reference that because, again, I want to stress this point of how God's words are much more than we could comprehend or even mimic or understand his words are powerful enough to create to bring into being 
Um, no matter how much I talk about cleaning the house, it doesn't actually get cleaned till I do something. So I can talk all I want, but it's not going to change anything. I can talk about wanting this or that, but it's not going to come into being. I can only use what God's already created. But he speaks and things, mountains move and the earth quakes and angels sing and the waters are separated from the land and man is created and, and woman is created and, and he speaks and, and the things that he speaks that come into creation are good. It's very, very few times that, like, I can speak. Uh, one, I never create anything when I speak. And two, it's not super often where I speak and I don't do some kind of harm to other people through my words. I can't even, I can't even speak good things often. That's why I hope that God speaks through me today and that it's not my words because my words aren't, as good as his. That's the, that's the gist of today's sermon. So we can also look at Ezekiel 12.25. Uh, For I am the Lord. I will speak the word that I will speak, and it will be performed. That is not minced words. <laughs> he, is saying, he is speaking very clearly. To his people. This is God. He is speaking very clearly. He says, I will speak the word that I will speak, and it will be performed. You know, we talk about uh, our rebellion and sin and think that somehow we can mess up God's plans, but the fact is, uh, what he speaks will be performed. So everything he promises in scriptures will come to fruition. We know that. It says, I will no longer be delayed, but in your days, O rebellious house, I will speak the word and perform it, declares the Lord God. It's not even that he's speaking to us and thinking that we'll perform it. He's saying, I will speak and then I will perform I will, you know, I'll talk the talk and walk the walk. Especially when you can't. Because we can't. We don't even understand his words that clearly. Or that deeply. So another aspect of this, well, I want to stay on that. Yeah. So another, another impact of these words. Another part of this isn't just creation. It's not just God will move mountains and he'll create the earth in seven days or six days and then rest on the seventh. And he does a lot of other things. Uh, I like looking through scripture and seeing what it's like when men almost come face to face with God. 
Because there's, there's an aspect of it that it's not just words, it's his presence. Um, it's God communes with us, not in just words, but in his, his presence and, and in his spirit. He's a spirit, right? And so there's a level of, uh, you know, I can talk to someone on the phone, but I'm missing so much by them not being in my presence, Oftentimes, you know, video calling is really great because you get so much from body language and you can tell when someone's about to speak and when they're not. And, you know, I'm awful at phone conversations. Uh, You know, I think books are so long because people are trying to describe in detail what they're trying to say. You know, if they're in person, they could just say it in a few words. You know, if I were to write this sermon in a book, it would take be a lot longer I think but God in his presence when he comes to us communes with us um, there's a few things we see and I really like this uh, I like a I like Paul's account in 2nd Corinthians 12 Uh, there's a few things I want to clarify he is talking about himself in this and you can see that if you read further into the chapter or previously into chapter 11. He's speaking about himself right now. He says, I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I like to point out he's not boasting. He's, he actually like is like, I really don't want to talk about myself and my own experience with God because I, I don't want it to be taken tritely. I don't want it to be taken uh, insignificantly. Like, he knows the culture of the Corinthians and these people who who don't really see, uh, you know, they don't take Paul's standing in his word as highly as they probably should. Um, and so, you know, he... He wants them to have their own experiences like these. And and it's so strange to hear this because, you know, we talk about a lot today, like there's people that claim to have seen God or, or whatever. And a lot of times they are boastful. They boast in themselves and they're excited to tell in great detail what they saw or what they, they heard. Um, but we'll see that Paul saw something so great and so grand, he couldn't even put it into words. He didn't think it was lawful for him to put it into words. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, this is Paul speaking about himself, was caught up to the third heaven, which I'll clarify also in that culture, the third heaven was uh, the sky was like the first, it's not different levels of heaven. It was like the sky was the first level, the stars were the second level, and then the third heaven was heaven. Okay, so that's, just clarify that. Whether in body or out of body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in body or out of body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told which man may not utter. He's saying the kind of communion that God has in paradise and in heaven is so great and grand and beyond our comprehension that it's not even lawful for man to utter those words. So even if we had the words to say, we wouldn't, it would be wrong to. 
That's how holy these words are. That's how beyond our comprehension they are. Exodus 3, starting in 16. uh, Let's see. That's not right. Well, Exodus 3 says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father, in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. This is the response we would have if we met God more regularly. We would be afraid We, we oftentimes come into, into God's presence with not treating it like it's holy ground. We read our Bibles uh, when we're half asleep just to get through our reading schedule, not treating it like it's holy ground. We take verses out of context, not treating it like it's holy ground. We come into worship late, and half asleep, not prepared in our hearts and minds, not having uh, confessed our sins to God, not having requested his forgiveness, uh, thinking about other things, thinking about other gods that we've made for ourselves that, that don't speak to us, and we come into his presence, you know, with our sandals still on. And we look God in the face and we say, we're not afraid of you. That's ridiculous. He can make a bush burn without burning up. (laughs) That's crazy. This guy is, God created heaven and earth and we come to him. He has the power to save our souls and we come to him and we aren't afraid of him. And I think that's because we don't truly see him. We don't see him rightly. So if you don't have that experience, you know, I, I will be the first to confess I don't have that experience often enough. I, I'm the first one into worship unprepared too often. I'm the one who reads his Bible uh, wrongly oftentimes. And... But I do have these experiences where it's like, wow, God, who am I? That you would even lower yourself to meet me here. It should make us afraid that God would come. (laughs) 
You know, if, if the head of, you know, if you worked for a big company and the head of the company came to visit you and your cube, you wouldn't think like, oh, I've done really good. I'm going to get like a huge promotion. You'd be like, oh no, what did I do? <laughs> right? <laughs> but God doesn't come uh, merely in judgment, but for his children, he comes in grace and mercy. That's a pretty cool thing. So I'd like to read uh, from Isaiah as well. This is Isaiah's response to meeting, communing with God. It starts in, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. I don't think we've ever saw a word so important that we repeated it three times in normal conversation. <laughs> I may say that to my wife sometimes. I'll say, I love you, I love you, I love you, right? But it's not like this when they're saying, holy, holy, holy. You know, one holy is a pretty big deal. <laughs> but saying it three times means we need to pay attention. I say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. Not just, not just a corner where Christians are, right? Not just the outer planets where no one is. You know, like everything that God created is full of his glory and points back to his glory. If you really are hearing from God, you would look up at the stars and be in wonder of him. So then picking up, it says, And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. That's a real response to God's presence, to his speaking, is realizing that our mouths, our lips aren't even holy enough to speak words. <laughs> we shouldn't be because we're so unholy. To, to look at yourself and see, I am unclean. You know, seeing, I think the most times I, I realize how uh, unskilled I am is when I see someone skilled doing their, their skill, <laughs> Right? I've never been to a professional sporting event and thought, man, after looking at these guys, I'm pretty good. <laughs> I always thought, like, I'm awful. <laughs> I thought that, you know, I did, I played soccer for, you know, from when I was five all the way through high school. And I still, like, even seeing college athletes made me go, I'm not good at all. And I've sp spent hours upon hours, thousands of hours practicing this, trying to get better at it. <laughs> and just being with the next level up made me think, wow, 
there's no real point in pursuing this further. <laughs> but imagine like if I, I somehow in my mind went to see the World Cup and was like, yeah, I could hold my own with Lionel Messi. <laughs> he actually makes me look kind of good. No, like I would say I'm awful. I'm terrible. It's such a wonderful thing to behold this person so good at their skill, so good at their trade. But God is, is his trade is holiness. <laughs> his trade is, is, is being God <laughs> and, and being glorified. So when we come up to him, we should recognize how bad we are at being holy, how unclean our lips are. It says, then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. And your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, and this is Isaiah, Here I am, send me. It's rightful for us to come into God's communion and see how unfit we are to even commune with him. But this account of Isaiah doesn't leave us there. His experience with God doesn't leave him there with unclean lips. He atones for him and says, I'll make it possible for you to speak. I'll prepare you to be sent out. You may not have the words or be holy enough to go preach my gospel, but I'll make you holy enough to go preach my gospel. He he spoke and then he made it happen. God wanted to send people forth, and he made it possible for us to be sent forth. Another account of of how I think it's important uh, to realize that, you know, there is a possibility to, to hear God, but totally misinterpret it and totally not hear him. And it's usually the people who aren't living through Christ who this is true for, right? Those are the people who can't hear God. An example of this is in John 12, 28. Christ is on the cross. And he says, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. This is God speaking. I have glorified it. And I will glorify it again. Then the crowd stood there and heard it said that it had. Then the crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said angels had spoken to him. Some people didn't even make hear the words. (laughs) They just heard thundering. That's how deaf they were to God and his voice. Some clearly did hear him. So another aspect of this I'd like to touch on is uh, 
Josiah, can you get that slide up for me? Thanks. Another aspect I'd like to to touch on of the significance of communing with God and the way he stepped down and made possible for us to speak with him is, is his gift of speaking in tongues. Yeah, great, thanks. Uh, this is a wonderful gift from God. It is uh, an avenue of meeting with God and communing with him. That It's just another beautiful gift from God. Um. You know, you read Acts 2 and you see these people closed up in a room, probably cowering in fear a little bit, but worshiping God nonetheless. And he comes down. This is the first account of speaking in tongues. And he falls on them. His Holy Spirit falls on them like fire. And they're speaking in tongues words that Others don't understand. And what follows, just like in every other encounter encounter people have when they speak to God, is like something big happens after that. These people are emboldened, going from cowering in a room thinking they're going to be crucified, which some of them were, right? They were like on really high up on the enemy list of, of the people in Jerusalem. And they went from that to going out and preaching the gospel. Peter preached and 3,000 were added to the ranks that day. That was just the men. They were emboldened by speaking with God. Even if they didn't understand what they were saying, they were emboldened by it. So even when we don't understand God fully, his sheer presence in the, in the words... His words go beyond our comprehension, and the power of his words go beyond our comprehension. You know, when, when, you, when you speak to your pet and say, good boy, he may not fully understand it, uh, but when you say it, you're meaning like, I'm going like, to continue to feed you and not kick you out onto the street, <laughs> right? Like, he may not understand the significance of you, like... A, a dog or someone, your pet won't like fully understand like your words. Uh, but that doesn't take significance away from them. A father saying to his son, I'm proud of you. The son may not fully understand that, but those words are still super significant. And that's what acts, you know, speaking in tongues often is, is we may not understand it, but we're communing with God and he's speaking to us and we're speaking with him. You can see in 1 Corinthians 14 too that this is uh, very understand, like this is exactly what what is meant by like what the gift is for. I got to find it because I don't have the full verse on here. But it's 1 Corinthians 14, if you want to turn with me. Starting in verse 2, it says, For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself 
but the one who prophesies builds up the church. You know, oftentimes I, I find myself on a car ride or alone or whatever it is, not particularly in the spirit, very feeling uh, unstirred up, as some would say, very dry, is another way of putting it, and I begin speaking in tongues. And just being in God's presence, communing with him, speaking to him, not even with eloquent, you know, words that I can understand in my head, I'm instantly lifted up and built up. So it's a wonderful gift from God, and it's something that if you haven't considered before, I would encourage you to. So to wrap this up, I would... Just how can you get that slide up? The last... Yeah, the last one. Thanks. Sorry. This isn't a great clicker. Uh, The word incarnate. Again, I I promise you that this would all come back to Jesus Christ, as I hope most of my sermons do. And I hope that all of our pursuit of God would would bring us back to Christ. And especially leading up to uh, Easter Sunday, you know, this Palm Sunday. The significance of Christ's life. John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Moving on to verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of, only, of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Saying that this word isn't just scripture, he actually went so as far to like actually condescend in the form of his son as a man to bring us the word. It was the word incarnate. He lowered himself so far that Christ was born a baby in a feeding trough. There is nothing grand or nothing that commands respect about a baby. There's nothing grand or that commands respect about a feeding trough. Those are some of the lowliest things. You know, you look at a baby and, you know, you look down on a baby. (laughs) You know, you're just a, like, babies don't work. (laughs) You know, they they aren't good at conversation. (laughs) They don't think very deeply. We're better than babies oftentimes, right? And that's how God came to us in the form of a baby. The reason babies are cute is because there's nothing else they offer to us other than potential. It's a gift from God that parents think their babies are cute. Because if they didn't, it'd be very hard to be a parent and to cater to a baby's needs, because they're very needy. So it is a gift from God that they're cute, and they are cute. Hebrews ten nineteen through 20 says this about Christ also. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, the veil, that is, through his flesh, And since we have a great priest 
over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. He's torn the veil, the veil that separated the holy place from the holies of holies, where God dwelt, the holy of holies. And when that veil was torn, we not only could enter into the holy of holies, but the holy of holies could enter into the world. Okay, this is God creating a way to spill into our lives. Genesis 28, 10 through 22. Uh, if you're taking notes, I think this is kind of the crux of, of my message, and I think a really important one. It gets all of it. All of the other, ta- like all the other headers are kind of summed up in this. Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran, and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you, your offspring, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, and this is what our hearts should be. This is our response to God, what it should be. When we enter into worship, when we read our Bibles, when we commune with other saints, we should say, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and is and this is the gate of heaven. That's how awesome this is. So to wrap up, I, the fact of the Almighty God lowering himself in order to communicate with us is one that is too often forgotten and breezed over. We've grown comfortable in our Christian speech about our encounters with God. We've grown callous in our hearts about the distance that the creator of heaven and earth needs to bridge in order to reach our ears, our minds, and our hearts. The way that the Lord communicates to us is a miracle. It's a divine miracle. Whether in reading scripture, drawing close in worship, or fellowshipping with other saints, this miracle finds its pinnacle in the incarnate Son of God, that is Jesus Christ. If you don't see the sheer magnitude of the Son of God being born a man, then you aren't hearing God properly. Encountering Jesus Christ in our Christian disciplines should leave us speechless, or at the very least, only leave us with words like awesome. 
If you come out of it with all these, you know, all these eloquent words, <laughs> I don't think it was a big enough experience, and I don't think you encounter God as powerfully as you should. And the thing is, is he's made a way to encounter us. So I encourage you all to meditate deeply on, on the miracle that, on this miracle of God communicating with us, the fact that he stepped down to speak to us, to be with us. We should contemplate this as God pours forth into our lives from his holy of holies and through his Holy Spirit. So I'm close with prayer. Lord, thank you for this day again. Thank you for communicating with us. Thank you for making a way for us to be in your presence, for bringing your house to us, for bringing your presence to us. Thank you for the the gift of speaking in tongues, for the gift of your scripture, for the gift of of being with other saints. Lord, we thank you for speaking into our lives. Pray all this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.